Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. We put up an online video called Church on the Go, and it was the first message in this series. How many of you guys were able to give a listen to that? All right, so so let me kind of give you a quick review of what was in that message. We're in this series called First Things First, and we're looking at the idea that the order in which we do things matters. The, The things that we do first are important they, they, because the things that we do first have the, the ability to impact and influence the things that come after it. Like when you have a list of things to do or a list of errands to accomplish, the thing that you choose to do first impacts the second, third, and fourth thing and on down the line, right? It not only has the ability to impact and influence, I think it actually has the ability to bless what comes next, all right? So order matters. What you do first is important. And so there's a theme verse for this entire series. It's from Psalm 90, verse 12. And in the book of Psalms, most people attribute all these songs and these poems that were written in the book of Psalms to King David, but he was not the sole author of these. In fact, this one was written by Moses. Moses is the guy who led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt. He's that guy that came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Like he's that guy, right, you know? Uh, Prince of Egypt, the movie was done about him. And so, so this is who Moses is. And Moses wrote this, uh, and it's our theme verse for the series. He said, there's two principles to learn from it. He said, teach us to number our days aright. Now, this is so important. Moses understood that, hey, we need to get our days right. We need to order our days properly because it's important. It's important because we don't have a whole lot of days left. You say, Aaron, you talking about the end times? Like Jesus returned, the rapture and all that kind of stuff? Well, maybe. But I could also tell you that this is your end of times. See, the Bible says that our life is like a vapor. Like we're here and then gone. Tomorrow's not promised to us. In fact, a, a safe ride home is not promised to us from church today. Our lives are here and gone that fast. So, so we're living in our end times then it's important that we prioritize and get our days right. So Moses says, God, help us order our days right. Help us do that. The reason, and then he says this. He says, hey, we we need to get it right so that we can make a great impact. But he also prays for this. He says, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Help us get our days right. Help us get our priorities right so that we can get a heart of wisdom. Now, you understand and know that wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. See, I think all of us have a lot of knowledge. In fact, there's probably nothing in this series that you're going to hear that you're going to just say, cross your legs and say, man, Aaron, that is brand new information to me. Like, you're just, there's nothing you're going to be like, that is so interesting because you're going to already know it. Most of us don't have a knowledge problem. We know how we're supposed to live our life. We know what our values are. Our problem is, is that we have difficulty making our week look like our values. We don't live them out very well because we lack wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge to our lives. And so Moses says, hey, help us get the priorities right. Help us determine what's most important. And then God, will you help us, give us a heart of wisdom so that we take the knowledge we have, the priorities we have, and live them out appropriately. It's so important. 
And last week, one of the things in that message, the Church on the Go message that I also talked about, is the idea that you and I are not earthly beings. Did you know that, right? We are spiritual beings. We are spiritual beings having an earthly experience. That, it's so important that you know that because most of our New Year's resolutions, most of the things that we want to work on and we want to change are earthly and we give focus and attention to the earthly things. I want to play guitar. I want to lose weight. I want to advance in my career. I want to have a kid. I want to get married. They're, they're all earthly things. They're not bad things, but they're earthly things. But if, because you are a spiritual being, you need to focus on spiritual things first. And if you'll do that, if you'll focus on spiritual things first, if you'll connect with God first, he'll give you the power that you need to do everything else in your life. It's just... It's just important that we get the order right, that you focus on spiritual first. And that's exactly why at the beginning of the year in January, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. Now, many of you hear this, hear what I'm saying, and you're like, Aaron, I'm familiar with prayer. We all know what prayer is, even a simple one. Help! Like, we know that prayer, right? So we know, how, we know what prayer is, but a lot of times, I don't assume that you're like me. See, I grew up in church. I grew up around this word fasting. I know what it means. It means to give up food, Right? And even as a young man, I can't tell you I really understood its impact in my life, and yet I still did it. I remember there was this time I did a three-day fast, a total fast, where all you drank was water. You didn't eat anything, right? And I, I remember I was pale as a ghost, and, uh, and I remember I did it. I don't remember much about those days because I was just like, whew, like it really impacts you. does a number on you. But I, but I remember doing that, and, and I don't assume that you know much about fasting. So what I'm going to do today to help you have a successful season of fasting and prayer with us during this 21 days, I want to talk to you a little bit about it so that you understand. So here's, here's what this whole season of 21 days of prayer and fasting is all about. Here's what we're going to do. First thing we're going to do is we're going to pray. And, and instead of gather, because it's cold outside and, and weather may keep us from doing it every day, so, so what we're going to do is we, we're actually going to appoint a time where you and I are going to pray together. And that's 7 a.m., Monday through Friday at 7 a.m., I'm asking you to join me for an hour of prayer or for any part of that prayer. And here's what I'm going to do. And on Saturdays at 10 a.m., we're not going to come and gather to the building. I'm just saying wherever you're at, would you set an alarm and commit to praying for some time from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m.? That way we join together in prayer, even though we're not gathering together in person. And we'll join together in prayer at 7 a.m. and then 10 a.m. on Saturday. We're going to do that. And here's why. Because if we do that, do you know what will happen? The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 7.14, this is what will happen. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. You say, what are you talking about, Willis? I don't quite understand what that means, Aaron. What it means clearly is that God is going to move among us. He's going to begin moving in your life. He says, if you'll do this, I'm going to start moving. And who doesn't want that in their life? Who doesn't want God to move on their behalf? And so what I want to do is, is I want to take you on this journey. I want to take you on this journey of praying. And we'll even, we'll even provide a way for you to participate. There's a, there's a link that's going to go up on our Facebook, and it's already on our website for you to join Prayer Live. There's thousands of churches from around the world joining, joining a church in Birmingham, Alabama called Church of the Highlands. 
And they're doing a live prayer service there. You can click on a link and you can just leave it up in the background and, and on your phone or on your computer. And they have music for you. They'll even guide you through the time of prayer. But I want to encourage you to be part of that. And I also want to encourage you to check out our website. We launched a brand new website this week. And there's a link on there that has 21 days of prayer and fasting. That gives you some resources like a prayer guide to teach you how to pray. And then also some resources on fasting so that you understand what kind of fasts there are and why you would do it. So those are there for you. And then I'm going to give you some keys today to help you because I want you to, 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 I want to lead us through this spiritual renewal, this time of spiritual renewal successfully, all right? So, so here's your first key as you pray and fast during these 21 days. If you're taking notes, the first key is to set your prayer objectives. Set your prayer objectives. In other words, decide what it is that you're going to be praying about during these 21 days. Yes, you, you can have your regular time of communion and fellowship with God, but, but decide on something that you're going to, to believe God and expect him to move on your behalf. In other words, the impossible for you, that unmovable thing in your life. Decide it. And then I want you to do this. I want you to write it down. Even if you just use the notes section in your phone, which is what I did. I pulled up a note section. I said, prayer 2018, 21 days of prayer, January. These are, are the, my prayer targets or my objectives. For me personally, I'm believing I got a tailbone and a back issue that I've been dealing with for far too long, and I'm believing God for a medical or a miracle. Either one is fine with me. I will shout and dance and praise him all the same. I want healing in my body, amen? And so I, I'm just going to trust God for that. Now, I can already hear some of you pushing back. You're like, well, but Aaron, what if God doesn't answer your prayer? Listen, you understand asking that kind of, those kind of questions is not your job or mine? The Bible doesn't tell us to do that. The Bible tells us to trust and believe to expect God to do the impossible in our lives. That's what he tells us to do. So I'm just going to do my job. I'm just going to trust that God's going to move on my behalf, and that's one of my prayer objectives during this time. And so let me give you a few other suggestions on what some of your prayer objectives could be. One of the, one of the first ones could simply be, and, and most importantly, is this one. Asking God, hey, is there any area of my life where you're not first? Is there any area of my life where I've kind of drifted in my commitment from you, whether it's in an attitude or in an action, in the way that you talk and the way that you live out your life? Is there, is there any way, God, in my finances, in my sexuality, in my relationships, in, in my parenting, and whatever, whatever way, it, it, are you first? And allow God to search your heart. David did this. He said, look, search my heart, God. If there's anything unclean in me, clean me up. Put in me a clean heart, and a right spirit. He wanted God to be number one in his life. And, and as you pray this kind of prayer during this time, God may lead you to something. He may put his finger on something and say, this area right here. And if he does, the next prayer to pray is a prayer of forgiveness. Ask God to forgive you and then repent. Turn the other way. Help, ask God to help you in your turning away from that thing. Another thing you could pray for is simply praying that the great commission be accomplished. Because the great commission is, is Jesus before he left He's talking to his followers and he said, listen, I want you to go out and tell everybody the good news. Tell, tell them that, that I died for their sins. Tell them about me. And so the disciples were to go out and do all that. That's what we call the great commission. And so you can pray that the gospel gets spread all throughout the earth. Jesus said, pray like this. He said, the harvest is ready. In other words, there's tons of people out there that are ready to say yes to Jesus. There's tons of people that need his help. But the laborers are few, so why don't you pray that God sends out more missionaries, that God sends out more church planners, that God sends out more pastors, that he sends out more ministers, that he sends you 
to be on mission as well. And as he sends you to be on mission, I'm going to bring it home for you so you not only pray for the globalization of the gospel being spread, but that you would also pray for someone in your life. And I'm going to ask you that during this season to pick one person, one person that you know is just absolutely drowning in their life and they need Jesus. And the reason I'm asking you to do this, pick one person is because I want to keep it simple. I want you focused in your prayer. And I want you to imagine that as they're drowning, what will you do for somebody that is drowning? You throw them a lifesaver, right? And that's why today I'm going to offer you a lifesaver. I know you're thinking, Pastor, on the first day of a fast, you're going to give me a piece of candy? You guessed it. That's right. But it's a lifesaver because I want you to take this and I want you to, that person that you're focusing on, that person that you're praying, I want you to think about them every time you put your hands on this. I want you to put it in your pocket or put it in your purse or put it with your keys. And then every time you pick it up and you touch it, I want you just to say a, a one-sentence prayer for that person. God, I, I pray for John that he comes to know you. Lord, I pray for Tina. I pray that, that she gets, gets drawn into relationship with you. God, I, I pray for Tim. I pray, God, that you would, you would help me love him to a relationship with you. Simple. Whoever that person is, just a one-sentence prayer for them. And here's what I want you to do. Over this 21 days, and you can carry this as long as you'd like to. It's in its own little plastic package, you know. I imagine some of us might, might hold on to one of these for a year or two and have them they'll look pretty grody. But, it, but anyway, I want you to carry this lifesaver with you. And when that person says yes to Jesus, I want you to rip it open and have yourself a snack and just have a little party, all right? You say, even during the fast? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's great motivation. Listen, dude, I need you to say yes to Jesus because I need something now. Please. You're my lifesaver. <laughs> now, if this doesn't work for you, I, I do something really simple. I actually read a lot, and I have a bookmark that, ha that uh, has somebody's name on it that I'm praying for. And every time I move that bookmark in my book, I, I just say a sentence prayer. Lord, I pray for him. Pray for him. So, so it's really, really simple. Keep your targets simple. Set your objectives. And the reason we do this is because James 4 says this, you do not have because you do not ask God. Seems simple enough, right? The reason you don't have it is because you didn't ask for it. God says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. We're asking with the wrong heart, and so we need to ask God for the right things with the right motives, but we need to make sure that those things we're asking for are clear, clear objectives. The second thing, the second key that will help you on this season of prayer and fasting is decide what type of fasting you will do. Just, just decide which one. Pick one. There, there are like four or five in the Bible that you can choose from. One of the, the primary forms of fasting is a total fast where you don't eat anything at all and you just drink water. And I'm going to encourage you that if you choose to do this fast, that you need to make sure that you consult your doctor to make sure that it's okay medically for you to do that or that you're at least being observed by a physician, all right? But, but a lot of people, they choose to do the total fast and instead of just doing water, they'll also drink juice like to kind of supplement. So they're getting nutrients, but what they're doing is they're, they're telling their body, no, I'm not going to let you chew. I'm robbing you of the joy and the pleasure of chewing food. There's also what's known as a Daniel fast. The Daniel fast is, is where you would fast uh, of everything but fruits and vegetables. That's what the fast looked like. That's what Daniel did in the Bible. He denied himself meats and, uh, and sweets, and he just ate fruits and vegetables. You could also just choose to fast a meal or two meals, breakfast and lunch, 
or, or just a single meal. But either way, when you fast, you're supposed to take that time that you would have spent eating and spend it in time in prayer or spend it in time in, in singing songs or just, just letting your thoughts drift to him. You can read your Bible. It's, it's intentional time to connect with God. And so you need to decide what kind of fast you want to do. We've, we've got a, a lot of them on the website that you can read, and that way you can choose and make a decision yourself. And as you do that, I want to encourage you, don't worry about anybody else. In my household, we're all doing some fast of some sort, and some of them look different than the others. And the kids are kind of ribbing each other. Well, what, you don't love God enough? And I'm like, whoa, 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 settle down. This is not about that. Don't you worry about what anybody else is going to do. You, you keep that decision and what you're going to fast between you and God, all right? And if this is your church home, I'm going to ask you that we do this thing together. I'm going to ask that you do something, that you fast something, even if it's just kale, which I've been on that fast for like 10 years. So I'm just saying, you know, just, just do something, all right? Pray and fast because Jesus said this in Matthew 6. He said, when you fast, notice he didn't say if you choose to fast. He said, when you fast, because it's assumed that followers of Jesus would do this. So this is normal behavior for Christ followers, all right? Even if it's not been your norm, it was normal then, and it can become normal for you now. He said, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So and basically, what these guys were doing was they were fasting, and they would suck in their cheeks, or they would hang their head and just look at, you know, because I'm telling you, fasting makes you want to do that, right? But they were walking around so that everybody could see they were doing it. He said, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And we're getting to the good part. And he said, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's a reward attached to fasting. Now, I don't know about you. I've won prizes before. But when God goes and gives you something, it's better than anything you can ever imagine. Can I get a good amen out there? God rewards this. So do something and let it be between you and God. Third key is make it a heart thing, not a food thing. Look, the point of the fast is not the fast itself. If you're doing the 21-day fast because you want to challenge yourself, like last year you were only able to do 18 days, and this year you're going to go the full 21 or whatever that looks like, like you're just, you're, or maybe you're competitive. You and your spouse are competitive, and you're just like, I'm going to give up more. Well, anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. You can. Yes, I can. You can. I can. Y'all are competitive. That's not what this is about, though. Don't make this a competition. This is between you and God. Your heart needs to be right. This is an opportunity for you to connect with God. It's about you giving up something that you enjoy so that you can be in closer relationship with God. It's a sacrifice. That's what it's all about. Faithful completion of the fast isn't the point. Connecting with God is. In fact, in Joel 2, 12, it says this, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. See, what they would do is they would rip their clothes to show that they were fasting. And God says, listen, this is not an outward thing. I'm not concerned about the outward. Don't, don't be all religious about the outward. This is about your heart. Rend your heart. Make sure the real work is going on inside of you, not on the outside of you, all right? The fourth key to a successful season of prayer and fasting is put the flesh to death. Put the flesh to death. Now, the real purpose of fasting is not this idea of penance. 
People think that, be, that they used to teach that fasting was a way for you to show that you were sorry for the sins you committed. That because you were such an evil person, you had to harm yourself, and that harming was by not eating. That, that's, that's not what fasting is all about. In fact, that's a religious kind of thing. That's a works of man. Don't do that. Jesus done paid the price for it, y'all. You don't have to carry it, all right? You don't have to carry any shame or make up any penance. Je- Jesus did that. But what it is, what fasting is, is the process of denying your self-pleasure. It's the process of causing your flesh to become weakened. The reason I say that is because you are a three-part person. I've already told you that you're a spirit having an earthly experience, but let me clarify that even more. You are a spiritual being that has a soul, and you live in a body. You are a spiritual being living in a body, and you have a soul. And those three parts of you are constantly in a battle for control over you and your life. And let me tell you something. When your body and your soul are in control, your life is filled with toxicity. There's nothing but pain and brokenness when those two things are in control. For example, when your body is in control, when its desires control you, then you will wreck and ruin everything around you to get what it is your body wants. You can look at that in your sexuality. You can just look at that in your, in, in your, in your stomach, in your hunger. Like anybody ever known anybody that when they get so hungry, they get angry? We call it being hangry. Anybody, don't point at them. I didn't say point. I just mean that you know. Right? And what do they do? They trash their relationships. They say things they don't mean. They do things they wouldn't normally do. Why? Because they're hungry. Their body is controlling them. It's in charge. Or what about somebody who's, who's, soul is in charge. That's your emotions, right? Somebody whose emotions are in control and they constantly are living in a state of fear or, or in an emotional state. It controls every action that they have. Some people get so emotional, they go to a place so dark emotionally that they'll even, not even just ruin their relationships, they'll even damage their own body or in their own life. When the body and the soul are, are in charge, Toxicity abounds in your relationships, but when your spirit, when your spirit, from the moment you said yes to Jesus, your spirit is made perfect and made right, your spirit is always going to follow the Holy Spirit, follow God's spirit, that which is right. When your spirit is in charge, you live a healthy life. Romans 8, 13 says this, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die when your body and soul are in calling the shots. You will see death in every area of your life. He says, but if, the, if you by the spirit put to death the myth, misdeeds of the body, you will live. You want to have life? You want to have that, that life, abundant life in you? Then you need to have your spirit in control. So put the flesh to death. The fifth key is to choose a different lifestyle. Choose a different lifestyle during this, during this season of fasting. See, the problem is, is most of us, we, we'll fast and we pray, but we don't change much about the rest of our life. And all of us have a tendency, like I said in the beginning, to drift a little bit. We'll allow things in our lives that maybe we didn't allow in our lives at the beginning of our relationship with God. Maybe it's a mu- type of music or maybe it's certain kinds of movies or a certain TV show that you like that you know, man, that thing is driving a wedge in between you and God. 
And you go on this fast, but you don't change anything else. You're feasting on your soul. Instead of feeding your flesh, you're feeding your soul. And your soul isn't being weakened in any way. So you've not accomplished anything. And so I want to encourage you during these, this time to choose a different lifestyle. Here's why. Look at Isaiah 58. This is considered the fasting chapter. It says, why have we fasted, they say, and you, you have not seen it. This is the people talking to God. Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? And this is God's response. He says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. In other words, you didn't change anything. You fasted, you didn't eat lunch, but instead of spending time with God by praying or reading your Bible over your lunch hour, you, you just pulled out your phone and you watched Netflix. You watched another episode of The Office. Guilty. You know what I'm saying? You're like, I, I just don't understand. I fasted, I prayed, nothing changed. You need to get a different lifestyle, change your lifestyle. And you say, Aaron, this, this doesn't sound like much fun because what you're talking about is turning off the TV. You're talking about disconnecting from Facebook. You're talking about certain kinds of music. You're talking about video games. Dear Lord, every man in the room just shuddered. <sighs> Won't be able to play my video games? That's what I'm talking about. We've allowed these influences in our life that are not necessarily bad, but they're certainly not positive towards our relationship with God. And so I want to encourage you to cut them out. Now, here's what happens around my house. We were already talking about what we're going to give up. And I realize that when that TV gets turned off, there are 21 days of my kids standing around and going, Dad, what you doing? <laughs> making dinner. Oh, yeah? What you making? You got tomatoes? You just going to cut them up there? You going to wash them? But this is what happens. Everybody just looking at each other. And so I think what a great opportunity at my home, we're going to, we're actually going to connect with each other. We're going to use that time. We're going to turn off the TV. We're going, to, we're going to do a devotion together as a family every night, at least attempt to, have a goal to. And then we're going to play games together, play cards together and hang out and, and just reconnect. I'm sure it'll be awkward at first because, you know, we've allowed so much stuff in our lives. Even our favorite TV shows, you're going to look around because you ain't looking at the TV anymore and you're going to see the only things that really matter in the, in, in the, in the grand scheme of things anyway, and that's the people around you. You're going to see them. You're like, wow, there you are. I haven't seen you in so long. Let's get to know each other again. There's an incredible opportunity here. I, again, I just, I just want to encourage you. Change, change something about your pattern of life. Cause that soul man to fast as well, to, to, to starve, to really let your spirit be in charge. It's healthy to break the pattern, to let God really work in your life. And the last key I'm going to give you is to expect results. Man, I want to be a part of a church that has people in it that expect great things from God. I want to be a part of, of a group of people that expect God to do miracles, not just the great things that he's already done in and among us, not just the, through, the, through the outreaches and the impacts and the missionaries and the mission trips and the, the dream team, like not just the stuff that, that he's already doing among us. I mean like the impossible, the stuff that's beyond us, that when people see what God is doing here, they say, man, that could not have been them people. That could only have been God. I'm talking about families being restored. I'm talking about marriages being healed. I'm talking about physical healings. I'm talking about the impossible. I want to be a part of a church where the people believe what Ephesians 3.20 says about God, that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. And excuse me while I calm myself a little bit, but I just believe God's going to do something. I want you just to expect 
results. Expect God to move on your behalf. Expect the impossible. As we look at that, the last half of that fasting chapter, it says that if you fast, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will, appear, will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be, will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Look, this is a promise from the Bible that if we will focus on God first, if we'll put him first, that he will be honored by that. And he shows up as a result. The order is important. We can fast any time during the year that we want to, but doing it the first part of the year, it matters. It matters. So as I close this message today, I kind of want to come back to one of the points that I, that I already, already made, and I, and I just want to wrap on this, and that point was to make it a heart thing. To make it a heart thing. And I'm going to encourage each one of us, as, as I lead you through this season of spiritual renewal, to do one thing, and that's to kind of do a relationship check. See, we all drift in every single relationship that we're in. And if we drift for too long without doing a relationship check, then we eventually drift apart. It happens in marriages, it happens in families, it happens with friends. That if you don't do a check on that relationship and go, where am I at with this? How are we doing? Asking your spouse questions like, hey, how can I make you feel more loved by me? We don't do these kind of checks. The relationship drifts. A perfect, perfect example is, is, is my wife, man, we, she and I, we dated uh, over the internet. We were Match.com before it was Match.com because somebody gave me her email address and said she was hot and that I needed to talk to her. And I said, all right, I'll do that. He, he was right. She's hot and, um, and I needed to talk to her. So, so we emailed each other. She lived in Jackson, Kentucky, about four and a half hours away from me. And we kind of dated through email, and then we talked to each other on the phone, and, and, then, and then it was time for us to finally meet. Now, we, this, this had been weeks of this going on back and forth, and I already knew, man, I like this girl a lot. I'm kind of old-fashioned. I don't move quickly when it comes to putting your arm around a girl and holding her hand or anything, but I was ready. I knew the first time I saw her, like I, I was thinking about it long before I even laid eyes on her physically, that, that I, was, I wanted to hold this girl's hand, and... Um, so our first night, our first date, I did that, man. I, I, I did that confident. I was like, give me this hand. You know, I want you to feel the dude on the other end of this thing. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, yeah. She wants me to keep going. And I, I remember our first kiss. I remember how nervous I was. I also remember that, that she was in Kentucky one weekend studying for her nurse exam, and she and I couldn't be together. We couldn't, we couldn't get together that weekend. She'd come up, and she'd stay with my parents, and I'd go down there and stay with her parents, and, and we'd visit and date on the weekends. And this is one weekend I wasn't allowed to because she needed to study. And so I said, well, I'm not letting a weekend go by without seeing her. So I drove four and a half hours. I knocked on her door. She didn't know I was coming. And she opened her door to much surprise, and I said, I'm just here for a kiss, and I got to go. And... Uh, so I gave her a kiss. She invited me inside. We, I stayed for about an hour and had dinner with her and her family. And then I drove four and a half hours back home. Man, that kiss was something else. I'm going to tell you. And we were passionate. But fast forward to today, I mean, it's cold outside. And when Shannon and I go to bed, she tries to put her hands on me nowadays. I'm like, woman, I will slap you. Get off of me. Like, it is for real. 
Like if I'm too tired, I'm not even gonna roll over to get a kiss goodnight. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, you should tell me goodnight. And I'm just like, nah, uh, love you. Mm-hmm, I know. We drift. We, we drift. The things that we were once passionate about in our relationships, we, we just kind of drift. And I think we do this with God. The things we were passionate about in our relationship with him, we drift. It's easy to do over the holiday season. It's easy to do over time. The things that we once held firm on in our relationship with God, we've drifted from. And it's important that, that you be in love with God because here's the thing. I'm not telling you or I'm not saying that I, that, that, that I think you don't love God because I think you do. The thing is, is are you in love with God? See, because when you're in love with somebody, the things you do for each other, the burdens you carry for each other, are easy. They're light when you're in love with someone. But when you love them but are out of love with them, the burdens, the things that you regularly carry become burdensome. They become impossible to carry. In fact, if you're not in love with God, some of the things he tells you to do in the Bible are too much for you. I mean, look at the Bible. There's some difficult things in there. Love your enemy you're right. If you're not in love with God, that's something that's impossible to do. You can't do it on your own. It's too heavy. But when you're in love with him, the Bible says that all of God's commands are a delight to you. And so I, I just want to know, are you in love with God? Are you in love with him? Because Jesus said this in Matthew 22, he says, love the Lord your God with all of your, everybody together, heart. Yeah. Love him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And he goes on to say, because this is the first and greatest commandment. It's the first one. It's the most important thing. What does that mean? It means God, God's not... <laughs> Today I'm calling you on the first day of this fast, of this 21-day fast, to have a first love relationship with God. That, that's what I'm calling you for. And I'm asking you to return to that place in your relationship with God that he desires. And he tells us what that is in John 4. He says, the Father seeks worshipers. Worshipers means somebody who expresses their love to God. Expresses it, finds expressions of love towards him. The Father seeks worshipers, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, King David was a passionate guy. He was full of passion. In fact, when he returned home from battle one day, there was... There, he began dancing, and his wife looked at him and said, you're the king. What are you doing dancing like that, all undignified? And he said, I will all, all the more indignify myself and celebrate my God. He was passionate. God was first in his life. David wasn't perfect, but he made sure that he was passionate about his relationship with God. And so today what I want to do is I, I just want to make sure that, that you have your passion for God. And I want to share one last verse from you. This is from Revelation chapter 2, and, and I'm going to pick up in verse 4, but I want you to know there are a few verses before chapter 4. And this is Jesus speaking. He's written a letter to a church. And what he says in, to them in the verses before, or before verse 4, he says to them, hey guys, you're doing a great job. Like if this letter was written to us as Simple Church, I feel like Jesus would say to us, hey guys, Simple Church, awesome job, man. You guys have doubled in your congregation size this past year. 82 people said yes to Jesus here last year. 
Well, that's all. That's all right. You can take a moment to praise God for that. That's awesome. Because that's not happening everywhere. So 82 people said yes to Jesus. So you had an awesome Christmas Eve service. You're making an impact in the community in, in, in many different ways. And yet, I feel like Jesus would say to us, and yet, verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Because if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. That's his spirit from its place. Listen, I think God sees all the things that we're doing as a church. I think he sees all the things that you're doing individually. I think all, he sees all the ways that you serve, the ways that you give, the ways that you sacrifice. But I'm here to tell you that God was never after your hands. He's never been after what you could do for him. He's, 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 he's never been about that. He's always been about your heart. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to know him. He wants your love because he knows that if he has your heart and he has your love, he'll have your hands too. That's why he's not concerned about that. He wants your heart. So you're here today and you've allowed your heart to drift from that passionate place of relationship with God where you expressed your love to him. I want you to know that it's easy to get back. In fact, this verse tells you exactly how to get back. He says three things. He says, remember your first love. In other words, remember what your relationship was like with God when you first said yes. Remember the passion. Remember how amazing it felt to be forgiven of your sins, to know God's love. Remember it. Revisit those feelings. Revisit how you felt in your heart and what you were doing then as a response to it. And then he says to, in that verse, he says to repent. In other words, remove the obstacles. Repentance is not a bad thing. We have to stop thinking about it like it is. In fact, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repent. Repentance is just turning another way. It's turning away from a direction we were walking and beginning heading in the right direction, God's direction. So we just need to repent. Remove the obstacles that are in our lives because honestly, those things are there because we allowed them there. And repentance is going to cost us those things. Could be a relationship, could be a TV show, could be anything. I don't know what it is. But we need to repent. Because here's what I know. That repentance is a moment of pain where you surrender that thing. But unrepentance is a lifetime of pain. You can have whichever one you want. We need to turn away from those things that have taken our love and our attention away from God. And the last thing that verse tells us to do is to do something. Do the things you did. Rejoin the path of obedience. Get back on the path. Get on track in your relationship with God. For some of you, those are simple things. Get baptized. If you've never been baptized, do it. Some of you have never gone to growth track. Go to growth track. Find out what God's journey, spiritual journey for you is all about. Others of you, join a growth group. Get in relationship with other Christians. Others of you, you're already there. You've done all those things. Maybe it's time for you to lead a group. You can do that the next two Sunday mornings during first service. we got training for you in our conference room. You can do it. You can do it. Others of you, you need to join the dream team. You, you need to just decide, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join this prayer thing. I'm going to pray every morning. I'm going to spend some time. I'm going to fast. 
do something. This is how you get back on the path. My prayer for each of you and for me is that we'll experience this spiritual renewal and get our first loves back. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that is alive and that is working in our hearts and lives today. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that right now is convicting us, that is putting his finger on something in our hearts and lives and all the ways that we have walked away from you. And I pray right now, Jesus, that you would help us, help us to return to you completely. In every little way that we've turned away from you, help us to turn back, to repent help us to make that decision right now that we're going to get our first love back. And as we continue to pray, that means every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to just say that there's there's people in this room that that prayer was for people to return to their first love. Some of you need to be introduced to your first love. See, God has called your first love because from the foundation of this earth, He's had a plan for your life. He loves you that much. He knew that all of humanity was going to sin and that all of humanity was going to need a savior, need rescuing. And from the foundation of this earth, he's had a plan in place to send his son Jesus to live a perfect and sinless life, to lay down his life and die on the cross be raised from the dead on the third day. He sent Jesus to do this work because we couldn't do it ourselves. Because we couldn't do anything to make ourselves right with God. He knew we were going to need him. And in the greatest act of love, he sent Jesus. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. And if you're here today and you're hearing about God's love for the first time, or maybe you're here and you've walked far away, Maybe because some church leader hurt you or maybe because religion was crammed down your throat growing up and I don't know, somebody invited you today and you're hearing God's love and it's stirring your heart. Right now is your moment to respond, to do something. And that do something is to ask Jesus into your life. We call it letting him be Lord of your life. That means he's in charge. And so if you're here and you'd like to do that today, I'm gonna pray a prayer. We're all gonna pray it. But if you need to pray that prayer, I'm not gonna ask you to stand up or come to the front. Wherever you're sitting right now, would you just let me know, hey, Aaron, that's me. Would you just lift up your hand and say, that's me. Do that now. Do that now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Proud of you. Proud of you. That's awesome. Church, let's pray together. Nobody needs to pray alone. Pray these words and mean them from your heart. Jesus, help me. I'm sinking without you. Forgive me of my sins today. Make me brand new. Today I give you my life. Show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.